Hello and welcome to So Farscape. A fun-filled Farscape fan cast by a fervent fan. And a frankly fascinated first-timer. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And, and this is the story so far scared. No, no, we have no. another hiatus. Yes, that's right. To tantalize our senses and to keep us teetering on the brink of anticipation before we continue season three, we're doing another greatest hiatus. I think it was like, oh, it was several months between uh, uh, Eat Me and the next episode. Mm. So we're experiencing that as well, but a double helping of uh, fan fiction. Last time we just completed Astro Girl 2's uh, uh, Zan Fickathon, and we may have something a little bit special for you next week. But this week, we're taking another little break from uh, Farscape and... Okay, okay, so every time we do one of these, yes. we, we have a little chat about what shall we, what shall we sort of do because it's an opportunity for you to introduce me or like to help me rediscover something. Right, yes. We're, we're kind of breaking with the tradition that we started off with uh, doing movies that uh, you hadn't seen. But yes, uh, this week's uh, greatest hiatus is a, a 1984 fantasy movie f- uh, fanfic, I would almost say, but it's not a fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 1984 Crawl. Crawl. The science mm-hmm. fantasy movie, I suppose. Okay, so... We thought about, like, what should we do? We've looked at a lot of other uh, science fiction or, like, uh, Jim Henson productions have mm-hmm. been... Uh, uh, neither of which this technically is, but what it is is a big swing, right? Yeah. It's a very... It's a lot of bold, creative choices to just, like, let's see if it works. Spoiler alert, it Doesn't did not. Really, no, commercially, no. no. But Oh, no, it was a commercial flop. Yeah. It was like it, it absolute it, disaster. It, it cost about thirty million to produce, and I think it had about a sixteen million box office take. So, yeah, that was like ooh. Yep. It's also not that really well received by critics, actually. In in part, I can understand it, but like it holds a special place in my heart. Like this oh, is, absolutely. It comes from a half remembered fever dream. Like I haven't seen it in like twenty eight years. I believe this is one of those movies that my parents rented for me when I was sick at home, and I you know got to <gasps> watch on the couch wow. while I was sick as a kid. Now, hey, that's good value because it's a long picture. It is. It's like two hours, and a lot happens. Yes, it's got a long story. I mean, that's what actually one of the criticism points that uh, the the critics had on it. it. It kind of meanders on. And there's loads of stuff happening, and they're just like piling on a lot of fantasy movie tropes. Uh, While but, in a, time, but in a really big budget production. Yeah, and and in some ways really innovative. Like there's, there's kind of two like overriding thoughts that I want to talk about straight away. One of them is quite positive and one of them is a little bit negative. So let's just get yeah. that one out of the... The positive is, can you imagine if this had been a 10-episode Netflix series? Oh, yes. Right? Like like uh, The Dark Crystal, Age of Rebellion. Right, yes. No, absolutely. That, that would, would have been yeah. glorious. Epic. Like you've got... There's, there's 10 episodes worth of adventures here. Like the swamps and the, and the web and, and all of that nonsense. And the other is that, I mean, Farscape has a has a tradition of empowered, like, really valid, strong, well developed female characters. Yeah. This does not. No. Oh no, there's like there's the typical damsel. There are trope. three women in the series. One of them is the faithful bride. The marriage is my choice. Corwin is a great fighter. Huh. Good fighters make bad husbands. Yeah. Who just sort of waits purely until she's rescued, and then she has a power that she gives to her husband, husband. and never wields herself. No. There's the crone. Yeah. So there's the, there's oh, the right, vengeful yes. crone who redeems herself and dies. And there's the seductive slut, and she redeems herself and dies. Yes. And that's it for women. 
Oh, you're right. Yeah, that, that is literally it. I mean, even the parents of the uh, the two newlyweds are nope. both kings. Only no fathers. Yep, no mothers in sight. Yep. Not a female in the entire throne room, I believe, during the marriage ceremony. So when Other Netflix than- does its 10-episode like miniseries ad- adaptation, how about we flip that? Like, oh. just straight up, one-to-one, all women, and we'll have a twink who redeems himself and a, and, a, and, a, and a jock who is noble and waits and gives power and will have a, a, a vengeful daddy who redeems himself because those Dang. are the three oh. those are the three phases of like at least gay male life you, oh, you have the tweet yes. the jock and the daddy yes <laughs> oh the, the witches of Eastwick <laughs> I have not seen this film in 28 years like yeah. I was 12 the last time I watched it and I know that it was on television and I videotaped it and I've watched it several times and I know that I was 12 because my memories of this film peter out at about the two-third mark which is yeah. about the attention span of a 12-year-old. 12-year-old yeah. Arguably that's when the, the swinging action really starts uh, to happen other than the big yeah. fight scenes in the beginning. And then there's a lot of walking around the countryside. Uh, which I love. With a little, I mean yes it's like uh, most of that was shot in Italy. Uh, ah, I was going to ask, because yeah. you've got these beautiful, like, meadows and rolling hillsides. I think it's, I think it's the Dolomites. Uh, that's where my thought went when I saw those mountains, and then, yeah, I, uh, I looked it up, and yes, it was shot in Italy. Oh, so well done. Yeah. Oh, that must have been a delight to shoot, because it's a very pleasant land, and mm. everybody looked very comfortable in their I mean, not again, very there wasn't, clothing. I mean, there was nobody there either. The only village we see is right at the beginning, and it's burning. Uh, yeah. There is no peasants. There is no other village. There's talk about the village, but well, that's where the seductress slut comes from. But again, yeah. she and two friends show up, and that's it. Yeah. You know, we never see anybody living in these kingdoms. No, nope. It's... It's, uh... Like... <laughs> Okay, so very bold creative choices here because it's a sci-fi fantasy which we're introduced to in the opening titles which take an awful, awful long time. Uh Uh-huh. Man, are they a delight to listen to. Oh, well, yeah. Because I had forgotten that it was James Horner until, like, the horns blasted. I mean, you literally said that. Like, oh, it has to be James Horner at the the moment the soundtrack started. Yeah. It's actually a very repetitive soundtrack, but I never got tired of it. And it's, and it's extra repetitive because this was 1984, so he'd just come off of Aliens, um, mm. where he basically repeated all the cool stuff that he'd done in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Right. And now he repeated it again, like these these mounting horns. And But I, I don't mind. I Wait, just love it. Part of the soundtrack for this was actually reused as a, in Aliens. Oh, it was a different yeah, order. It was different the other way around, yeah. Ah, there was still def- derivative from the Wrath of oh, Khan from 1982. Oh, yeah, yeah, though. no, totally, yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and then some of this was literally recycled in the Alien soundtrack. Yes, I heard that. When it's suddenly, about halfway through the film, you, like, there's these beautiful themes that are developed, and they're super exciting and, and, and heroic, and then one of them turns minor, and you get some martial drumming in, mm-hmm. the, in the background. That's when the, um, oh, what was it, the all-terrain vehicle, like, busts. Oh, okay, yeah. But yes, opening shot is, again, a little bit Star Wars derivative. We see like a big rock floating <laughs> through space and you get these long t- themed shots. Now that's interesting. It read as a tree to me. I, I, was, I, oh, had, a, okay. I had written down like Yggdrasil, the, uh, the oh, world okay. tree. Oh, okay. I mean, to me, like, it, it looks much more rocky. I mean, I mean it's, it's called the Black Fortress. 
Yes, uh, approaching um, this two suns. It's not planet. very. It's not very black, by the way. It's I more know. brownish, but you know, it's. Uh, I love how the the sort of organic shapes give way to more structural shapes. Mm-hmm. Well, in your rock interpretation, is actually kind of kind of apt because it transitions from rock to like hexagonal. Like, right, it's like the, the giant. Yeah, those the giant's causeway in yeah. uh, in Ireland. So yes, that's 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 a what beautiful it, feature that, in my memory, was. Uh, desolate because when I went there as a child with my mother, it was there was not a lot to do there, uh-huh. and it was just a very long drive. And now it has a lovely reception center, and in my current memory is just smothered in Chinese tourists. Oh well, yeah, that's not a big surprise. Right. It's one of those things. But yes, we see the fortress landing in the uh, in the countryside. Big crack develops in the sand. There's like some air bursts going off. Oh, it looks uh-huh. spectacular. Followed by the one time we see a burning village, and it's the uh, the slayers which ride out and start to conquer the planet because the beast apparently has conquered many planets, and now it's come to the beautiful world of Krull. This it was given me to know that many worlds have been enslaved by the beast and his army, the slayers. Yes. Uh, this opening narration, which does a lot of exposition, it's very heavy in exposition in the in the yes. early part of the uh, the episode, uh, the film, where it was given to me to know. What a lovely way to start a story! The king and the queen will rule Krull, and their son will rule the galaxy, which is mentioned twice, but completely yeah. not elaborated that, upon. The sun doesn't come up. No. Like, there's even, the, the way that this is phrased even, like, suggests a, a, a much more empowered female protagonist than we actually right. get. Like, because it is the queen who chooses a king. That a girl of ancient name shall become queen, that she shall choose a king, and that together they shall rule our world, and that their son shall rule the galaxy. She doesn't have much agency aside from who she to who, who she, she picks. Her yes. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. So Daddy King One and Daddy King Two are not exactly friend fans of each other. Apparently, they are ancient enemies, and their kingdoms have been presumably at war. I didn't choose this marriage, Charles. Nor did I, Eric. But now there is yes. a uh, an external crisis that has to be met, and they reluctantly agree to come to each other's aid. Apparently they lost 300 men on the way over, which is like a good way to save on extras. Yes, yes, because only about 20 actually ride through the meadows. I thought here it was interesting that it was the daughter's idea. Right. She suggests that this uh, this alliance being uh, being necessary and that it should be sealed marriage. through marriage. Then I'll make a treaty with King Torold. It's not necessary for you to marry his son. It's the only way to guarantee the alliance. Which seems like really cunning political acumen until, like, yeah... Turns out she actually does have the hots for. So I was kind of wondering about that, how that would work. Because, like, I mean, they're like they're old enemies, but like, I mean, did they meet at a social mixer at some point? How like, did they meet? Yeah, exactly. And like, what's the backstory there? That's, that's what I'm curious about. Really fascinated about that. Yeah. So well, maybe we can write a fanfic about that. Oh, I, I hear an army of like fanfic writers who are shaking off the dust of decades that they haven't written for Farscape, and they're charging towards their pens. <laughs> I want to talk about the the sort of pageantry and costuming and design here yeah. because we're introduced to this fairy tale castle uh-huh. in the Dolomites, like super white walls, like yep. it's, it's Minas Tirith, but it's guarded by these guard knights who are essentially like wearing BMX outfits, like kind of extra, kind of like a cross between like the Emperor Palpatine's red guard, but then in purple and with yep. uh, with these peculiar outfits and look a little bit of helmeting thrown in. 
Uh, Those are BMX helmets. Come on, they've got the they've got the sun visor. They're just they're just painted extra sort of. Okay, reddish. yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you've got this cool door with like a space dartboard on it. Right, like, and no hinges. Well, that's interesting. I don't know how it opens, but later on, uh, or shortly <laughs> afterwards, when when the uh, when the slayers come and break through the gate, and the gate falls open, and you can see the gate standing there, there's no hinges. Interesting. <laughs> there's a lot of interesting design choices here, and I just. I just love how big they're... Like, yes, the main gate is these two big doors, and they're barred by not one beam. Like, it's well, it a, is. It's kind of boomerang-shaped, though. Exactly. It's like a, it's like a quarter to two on and, the clock. So uh, we see the arrival of basically Florin and Gilder, right? Right. From the Princess Bride, these rivaling kingdoms that happen to both be named after Dutch currencies. Hey, yeah. it took me a long time before I realized that. Damn, yes. <laughs> and, and the sort of rival kingdom arrives and immediately, like, yells their complaints. Because as you right. said, yeah, yeah you promised us aid. No, yeah, aid never a, arrived. A little bit of bickering, a little bit of, like, two grumpy old kings who have uh, decided to put their uh, grievances aside and have their children face the music. And their children are the ones who really drive this decision because mm. the, the dads are about to, like, fly at each other's throats over this promised aid that didn't arrive because they were probably taken out by slayers. Yeah. We sent to you for help. None came. Twenty men were dispatched to you. We lost 300 getting here. Uh, uh, and the kids are very decisive, so we have... I didn't really write their names down because they went too quick and I don't care, so I've named them Brad and Janet. Sure, let's go with that. Okay, Brad right. and Janet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Colwyn and Lissa, but who cares? Yes. And Brad is wearing sleeveless armor, which yep, that's a that's a bold choice. Again, yeah, it's like it looks stunning, and he's got some abs as we see later on. Yes, <laughs> he is. He is a fine, fine slab of lunch meat. Like I sort of imagine that. This is this was supposed to be kind of a date movie, and there is, yeah. you know, for a, for a hot-blooded young woman who's into hot-blooded young men, there is a lot of candy to uh, mm. to enjoy, while you're not being provided with any relatable characters that have any agency in the film. So at least you got something to do. There you go. They have a little get together where they like, oh yes, uh, we're going to get married here uh, tonight at, at, at moonrise. When it also not only do they have two suns, but they also have two moons here. It's a well-endowed uh, planet. It is. I like the scene where the dad and uh, daughter arrive uh, from downstairs, and the dad and son arrive from upstairs, and the dad's like both holding these gaslit torches, and they have this yeah. little thing like. From this day, my kingdom is no more. Nor mine. A single kingdom under our children. Agreed. Which I thought was a really nice way to go. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's not normally how, like, succession goes, right? I suppose a king can step down. You know, it's like it, oh, happened, here in the, it, oh. it happened here in the Netherlands, like uh, Beatrix abdicated in favour of uh, Willem Alexander. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I suppose in this case, they, yeah, they just come to an agreement and they go, we're, we're both going to step down and as of now it is one kingdom ruled by both our children. Agreed. As yeah. if that's the first time that they that they talked about it. And this is a moment where somewhere is a, there is a universe where the crawl is then about the bickering over what the kingdom is going to be called. <laughs> yes, that's at least one episode in that Netflix series, right? <laughs> okay, so the uh, the wedding happens, and it's this beautiful ceremony that involves water and fire. He Brad Prince Brad douses one of these uh, torches, uh, one of these yeah. torches in the water, and ja Princess Janet has a special superpower where she can like take fire from the water and 
Right. So um, I th- I'm thinking that... Where does this come from? I, did they must have a special relationship with fire on this planet. Because we see uh, later on when the prince uh, goes and fishes the glaive, he pulls it out of magma. Yeah. And later, when she does eventually give the fire back to him, he can use it as a bloody flamethrower. Yeah. So I, I'm just guessing that these folks have a special relationship with fire. I mean, they've got fire mares as well. So fire must... Oh, yeah. Fire must just, all over the place. Must, just, must just be a thing on Krull. Okay. I mean, it is a fantasy uh, movie. No, but that is an entirely satisfactory explanation. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> and I did notice an interesting little continuity error here because Ooh, he, like, dear. he, uh, he douses that f- torch in the water, and then all the in the rest of the wedding scene, he's holding it again, but it's still burning. <laughs> so it kind of, kind of ruins the imagery here. But yes, just. <laughs> Just about as she is uh, uh, going to hand the fire back to him, the uh, slayers arrive at the main gates, blow the shit up, and uh, invade the castle. These slayers look so cool. They're amazing, yeah. They have these sort of, I mean, sort of insect skull-like helmets with these crowns of thorns. They don't really seem to yell anything or want anything or have characters or or whatever. No, they're just like slayers. Um, They're riding on horseback. They have these staff weapons that fire energy bolts, which they can turn around, and then they're just... Like, yeah, so there's a spike on them, and when they shoot that energy bolt, that spike is gone, and then they turn it around, and it becomes kind of like a sword thing. Oh, I hadn't caught that. Yeah. Oh, okay, so it's like a musket, and then you yes. flip it around, and they've got your bayonet on the exactly, other side. Exactly, yeah. Oh, that's cunning. That's how it works. At least that's how I, it, it, it seemed to be working. Well, that explains why it always like a, an opening barrage and then transition to right. hand-to-hand. Clever. So there's a bit of business about how to defend the castle. And again, for a second, I thought we'd have an empowered female uh, lead when she says, we'll fight together. But no, she gets sent off with a few guards who immediately get uh, slain by a few other, other slayers. I guess they make up their name and uh, the princess gets taken prisoner. There's a swashbuckling scene in the main hallway. Yes, he where he's, he's literally so much cu- flinning. Yep. He literally cuts down the candelabra and swings, swings across, across the room. Across the room and he dances across the font and he he, he throws his, his sword from one hand to the other. It's it's ridiculous and so cool. God, you know, if this was like a regular episode, we could actually stop and just marvel at these scenes, but there's oh, no, just we have no to, time. We have to keep marveling exactly. and motoring on. Yeah, well, that's marveling we'll on as well. Yeah, Quietly marveling. So yeah. we see one of these uh, slayers being killed by one of the dads while they're still alive. And it's there's this high-pitched screeching and the armor falls apart and like a lobster. It's described as a worm as well, and it kind of slithers and disappears into the ground. Yeah. That happens whenever whenever one of these slayers is slain. So is this just the little lobster creature and does it have to, like a hermit crab, gather its I guess, armor? maybe. Or maybe it's piloting the body. Maybe it's just like some sort of thing that infests a Oh, like the host. little aliens in, meet in meet, uh, uh, Men in Black? Yeah, something like that. Oh, that's that actually kind of nice. Uh, so <laughs> these fight scenes, they're at once terribly stupid and really cool. Yeah, they were really well rehearsed, and then the Slayer suits arrived, and then they realized that they had like lots of limitations in their movement, and they kind of had to. <laughs> they uh, couldn't see. Yeah, they couldn't see, and they couldn't do. So that was a bit. Uh, <laughs> that was a bit unfortunate. So they were supposed to be more dynamic and better uh, performed, but uh, yeah. But then they all turned into Obi Wan versus Vader. And so yes, uh, Prince gets knocked down by one of the blaster bolts, left for dead as the hay bale is uh, set on fire, and. With the princess uh, brought to the uh, dark fortress, we cut to the scene where... It's funny that you should mention Obi-Wan, because we have the old man character, who's also the narrator, by the way. 
Yeah, let's just keep calling him Obi Wan. I mean, uh, I'm yeah. sure that they all have names, but yes. I, I can't be bothered to look them up. He does uh, smears a bit of a poultice on uh, the the prince's uh, wounded shoulder. Uh, this is where we get the the beautiful ab shots. He is a fit gentleman. He like, is. We do not know this man from anything. I mean, I, I say we, you and I, yeah. right? Um, I mean, it was interesting looking at the credits. There was only two names that I recognized, and they were very, very far down the list. There's Liam Neeson and Robbie Coltrane. Yep. I don't imagine that anyone who saw this film would have realized, hey, those are two, those are going to be two world-class talents that yeah. will entertain generations. I mean, Neeson had his little thing going on, but uh, Coltrane seemed a little bit mostly like standing around in the background and like, he only had a few lines. He was like... And know, a lovely little mustache. He had a lovely little He had a high fade mustache. haircut yes. and a gorgeous little mustache. I never knew that Robbie Coltrane was ever that young. <laughs> you thought he just like... Fully old. formed, yeah, yeah, hairy and 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 crotchety, and like Liam Neeson, I thought that at one point he would have been younger, but no, apparently he was always no, he always living showed up, up in that, uh, that County Cork or yeah. wherever he's from. I mean, let's see, Kenneth Marshall is the actor who plays the prince, and called Prince Colwyn, but yes, uh, Prince Brad. Brad, Prince Brad. Yes, uh, I'm just having a quick look. He was like he had little bits and roles here and there. But no, nothing massive that you would immediately jump out. Out of Baywatch, episode of Quantum Leap, episode of Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine, you say? Lieutenant Commander Michael Eddington in nine Eddington? Episodes. Yeah. Oh, God, that lovely mane of hair didn't last very long, did it? I don't remember. I don't I don't recall who... Oh, he's a Starfleet security officer, and he's a bit of an antagonist a little oh. bit, but I think he has a redemption arc. Okay, yeah. But nine episodes, apparently, so yes. Yeah. That's... Uh, so here we have, for those of you who have read, oh, I think it's Joseph Campbell. Am I saying that right? It's The Hero's Journey, mm-hmm. where folk tales are dissected, sort of like in Vladimir Propp's morphology of the folktale, with some basic like steps, which this film early on follows to the letter. Like here we have Obi-Wan arriving, uh, saving the prince, giving him the seal of office that's taken off his dead dad, yes. and telling him what he needs to do. This is called The Call to Adventure. Mm-hmm. And then comes the refusal of the call, because the, the Prince Brad does not want any of this. He even says, like, you can have my kingdom if you just let me rest. Yes, and he's like, oh, yeah, he has a bit of a crying fit because he lost his bride and his, fa- and his father. Obi-Wan admonishes him. There is no time now for grief. <laughs> you haven't lost a father and a bride on the same day. Nor have I become king on that day. <laughs> I have no kingdom. Your kingdom may be greater than you know. I give it to you, old man, and welcome to it. I came to find a king. And I find a boy instead. Yeah. Then just threatens to ride on off and like a little kid who sees mom walking off and sees that mom's not buying into his little fit uh, <laughs> suddenly grows a spine and uh, comes on after him and tells him like, oh well in that case where am I supposed to go puts on his pleather shirt which I can't imagine is comfortable against your skin actually like you did you see those pants oh that as well can you imagine the squeaking on the set <laughs> Yes. Like, we have been to, to Pride Amsterdam once, where I know this was a different era for you, yeah. where you where you rocked uh, leather pants, which looked great, and what material was that shirt? Oh, it was rubber latex uh, type shirt, yeah. Now, how was that? And, Uncomfortable. And, and was the stench of talcum powers really as overpowering as I imagined? <laughs> no, it's not, it wasn't that bad. It was kind of weird, actually, because it's like, it was black and skin tight, obviously. Yeah. So it was, on the one hand, quite hot. Because, like, it's black, so it catches a lot of sunlight. But yeah. also, 
immediately cold again. It's like any any breeze of wind immediately cools it off as well as wind. Oh, interesting. So yeah, it's both uh, both warm and cold at the same time. Very inter- very peculiar to watch. Uh, where, huh. but so, yes. Yeah, he's told that he needs to go collect the glaive, which is an ancient, and he got out glaive is only a symbol because like the medallion that he, his dad had also uh, has the shape of a glaive. Oh yes, and the base of the font where the fire was taken out during the also, wedding. Also, and the and the window in the background was also kind of like oh, a very shaped. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, like something that definitely comes back. Like it's a, it's basically like a sea star with a bias in yes. one direction, five points and a, and, a, and a slight curve to them. It's a yes. for us, it's quite an alien shape. Yeah, uh, I suppose, yeah. Right, I mean, there's nothing in like our cultural and architectural tradition that that has that at once five pointed shape and swirling. So uh, he has to go and uh, get it. So there's a, a brief horse ride to the mountains, apparently in a cave at the top of the highest peak, which it's not because you can clearly see that there are higher peaks around it, but in the background. But eh, never mind. An excuse to wander <laughs> through the Dolomites, yes. where over the course of what is suggested to be quite a long ride, mm. uh, more exposition is delivered. And I love how it's sort of like Obi-Wan tells him one line after the other, and every line is intercut where a very clearly a different mountain or hill, and now they're mounted, yep. and then the next second, like, it's... And it's just beautiful. He gets set off on his own to go to the climb the top. There's a random rock slide. That was actually like exciting to me. Oh, you know, okay. he has to sort of dodge these yeah. rocks that are coming. Like it gave me little chills. Mm. And at the top of the mountain, there is a cave which has lava flow going through. And here we see this. Like they have this special relationship with fire because he doesn't hesitate. I mean, he rolls up his sleeve. Yep. Which because, like, is an in- interesting choice when you're about to plunge your hand because he sees like the five-pointed silhouette of something in that glow that he needs to retrieve. Mm-hmm. And they don't seem to be able to make up their mind whether it's lava or acid or both. But he yeah. plunges his hand in and, and there's, there's flames fire, up his... Something catches fire, yeah. Not his arm, but something catches fire. And he pulls this... Maybe it's just his arm hair burning off. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this sea star, yeah. uh, this starfish out of the slime which sloughs off its slag and reveals this beautiful golden shape that then doesn't come up for another hour and a half. No, uh, as one of the critics called it, a brass starfish. But yes, <laughs> <laughs> but yes uh, he gets, immediately gets admonished by Obi-Wan when he wants to show it off. Do not use it until you need it. Well, how will I know when? You will know. No, you shouldn't You'll use go it blind. Until, until you mess up. <laughs> Get hair on your palms. <laughs> we have the first of many pointless little cuts to Princess Janet in the Dark Fortress, where mm-hmm. she's being held in a cell that looks like an eye. Yes. Like, it looks like the eye of, like, a, 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 a theme park giant. Exactly. That's exactly what it reminded me of. You know, in, in, uh, in the Efteling, when you have the boat yes. ride in the uh, Fata Morgana. The Fata Morgana. There's, like, at one point, there's this, like, huge guy standing over this the water. This gin, and it's, like, his eye. Uh, yes, this exactly. animatronic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Apologies for those of you who've never been to the Efteling in the Netherlands. Heartily recommend it. Yes. It's a, it's a theme park that really takes its theming very, very seriously. And gosh, like somewhere out there, there's a universe with a Krull theme work that lives up to that level of quality. Wow, that would be amazing. Right? Yes, yeah, so... Back to the Dolomites. Back to, well, they leave the Dolomites because they go into the forest. And as they are having a little sit-around by a, a babbling pool where there's a, a little 
waterfall coming in, there's a strange light suddenly appears, crashes into the water, and the first of the further party members arrives. Yes, following the uh, the hero's journey, he goes into the dark forest. Oh, sorry, no, that's prop again. I'm mixing them up. Huh. That's okay. It's a movie about mixing sources up. The first of the helpers arrive, because this is an essential part of the hero's journey. Uh-huh. The hero alone does not have the ability to confront the villain. In fact, he's already confronted the villain's forces and been defeated. Yeah. So he has to build up, much like Luke, Luke Skywalker, has to gain helpers like I was going to say Gimli and Legolas but this just goes to show how how powerful this trope is you have to go and wander about and sort of aid will coalesce around you starting off with help I'm drowning this might have been quicksand I might have been sat to my death while you stood there gawping. Like, there's, there's never explained why he arrives as a meteorite splashing into the pond and claiming that he can't swim. This introduces... Ergo the Magnificent. Short in stature, tall in power, narrow of purpose and wide of vision. And I do not travel with peasants and beggars. Goodbye. The only character whose name I remember it because he says it all the time. Yes, Ergo the Magnificent. Uh, what is he like? Uh, short in stature, tall in in name, name narrow, narrow in, in purpose, and yes. wide in vision. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and he keeps repeating that several times. He's a bit of an ass. Uh, also, a bit of a magician because yes, he can apparently do spells and transform himself into various animals. Yes, he's got uh, a thing for gooseberries. He's obsessed with gooseberries. Yep, he has this. He has like a farmer's almanac of spells that he can cast, which mm-hmm. seem to only work on him. Yes, he tries it on Brad at once, but he instead himself gets turned into a goose, a fat, ugly goose. There's a handsome goose. Uh, a, I mean, that's what... A very angry goose, I no, can see, by uh, one of the yes. shots. I think you called it the cobra chicken. Yes. <laughs> this is from a joke. I'm not, I'm not actually sure it's a joke, but it was like someone who is in, I believe in Canada, trying to get into the uh, uh, university building. And English wasn't quite so well, so he didn't know the word for goose. And like, you know, yeah. he said, did not like the cobra chicken. <laughs> <laughs> it's entirely appropriate. It's like someone who, this lost and found notice of someone who had found a ferret and that he didn't know what it was, some yeah. sort of cat snake. It smells funny. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, he uh, tries to go off on his own, sees a uh, cyclops, who will later turn out to be also one of the companions, and then yep. ca- cowardly decides to go join them anyway. Wait! Wait for me! I've just remembered. I've urgent business in this direction. What business? Staying alive. Back to the Princess Janet, who is told that she has the run of the uh, uh, the, the castle, palace. but she will be married to the Beast. Yes, he will have her as his bride and so rule the galaxy together. The, yeah. yeah, this was the Beast's motivation. Like, there is in this world a prophecy... Right. I'm really sort of piecing it together. There was, a, there was a prophecy, and so he came to this world. Oh, because she will choose her husband, and they will rule the planet, and their son will rule the galaxy. That's what I'm thinking. That makes sense, yeah. And that's why he attacked this uh, this castle and made all, like stopped attacking as soon as he had the princess, because yeah. that was his that, goal. Oh, that makes sense, yeah, it does. Turns out this, it actually has a cohesive plot. Right, yes. This is also where we learn that the uh, Dark Fortress moves and disappears at dawn every day and reappears somewhere else on the planet. Never in the same place twice. Sometimes in the mountains, sometimes in the sea. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, th- th- this is going to exacerbate the problem of uh, rescuing the princess because they never know where it's going to be. It's only going to be there for a day. Obi-Wan has a solution. So now that they have the glaive, which gives him the power, they need to find the, the emerald seer or something. Yes. 
And they take a shortcut through the mountains, which unfortunately... Uh, Bandits. Uh, yeah. Those are the only other people we see ever see on this entire movie that live here in Kroll. I love that it's Ergo who first notices that there are robbers here. Mm. He's got a lot of personality, this guy. Like, he reminded me a bit of... of Steve Coogan, although Steve Coogan would have been too young to play this this role. Mm-hmm. He's a British comedian in a bunch of stuff. Uh, and they're accosted by these bandits. Now, this is where we introduce to Liam Neeson in yep. an underappreciated role, uh, uh, Robbie Coltrane in an underappreciated role. And the bandits have, like, a bandit king. Mm-hmm. Who is that? Because he's amazing. Alan, with a U, Armstrong. Oh, in the Welsh style. Alan. Uh- Again, not a lot that you would recognize him from. Although I must say that one of the movies that he played in, the title is fantastic. It's called Billy the Kid and the Green Bay's Vampire. <laughs> I love that. Uh, oh, you know what? I think I, mean, I actually was, know him. He was in Patriot Games. He's in uh, Val Helsing. He's in he's Sleepy in Hollow. The Mummy Returns. Yes, right. no, I know this. Also a gentleman whose uh, magnificent head of hair didn't last him as oh, long no, as he might no, have liked. no, 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 no. But once it was gone, what remained is a, a rather a famous character actor. I've definitely seen him in a bunch of stuff. No. And he's just sensational here. Like, yes. this guy should have been the hero, and then this film would have been a lot more successful. He's got, he's got swagger. He's got cool. He's got a... See, these men follow no man but me, and I follow no man at all. There's a brief fight, but both he and and Prince Brad have something in common, that they don't kill men for no reason. Oh, you like Starbucks as well? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I watched Idiocracy the other day, so... (laughs) (laughs) And he calls them to arms, Prince Brad does, and only one of them really, like, embraces it, uh, a young man, and then... Prince Brad pulls his his sort of glaive thing out. Medall- no, it's the medallion. Well, it's also shaped like the glaive. This is going to get confusing. Okay, yeah, the medallion. All right. And it has a key on it that he uses to unlock the manacles because these are escaped prisoners. And It seems, yes. And he goes like, oh, only the king and his high... Uh, the command- Lord, Lord Marshal. Lord Marshal have the key to these manacles. You don't look like a Lord Marshal. No. You look about the right age to be total, son. Eh? Exact age. How, what a relief it must be to, to have been wearing these manacles forever and then to be released from them. Yes. Well, he actually doesn't ask to be released. He says, like, the, he takes the manacles of the boy, but the bandit king goes like, you know, I'll, okay, we'll join you, but take them off uh, if, if we succeed and otherwise I will die wearing them. So he has a little bit of sense of pride in, uh, yeah. in, his, in his manacles. So, okay, one more thing. Like, we've mentioned this, the, the crow glaive thing several times now, so... Mm-hmm. Okay, a glaive is a pole arm. I knew you were going to say this. We okay, <laughs> we have a proud tradition of like obsessing over Pedantry. different types of uh. art. Yes, and and way back when we were still doing cover my ass, you gave me a whole like a six-hour diatribe in my memory <laughs> of the various types of. There was the guizard. Yeah. Let me see if I, if Kaki can remember. There was, a glaive was one of them, and that. Uh, I mean, how is that? It sort of looks like a crab's claw, right? Or a lobster claw on a stick. Is that the glaive? It's, I think it's, it's, it's like a blade with a little hook, sometimes a little yeah. hook on it. It clearly uh, is derived from the old Latin, what's it called? Gladius. Gladius? Yes. But that's a short sword. Yes. Oh, okay. And it's also still in modern French. A glaive is a short sword. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, but yes, it was like chosen because it was like a kind of undefined name. Although, yes, since the 15th century, glaive is a arm and here it's just a five-pointed uh, a brass starfish with knives on it good like it's one of those things where he's 
Prince Brad, when he sees it, he's never held one before. He sh- he couldn't possibly know that these claws will come out. No. This could have been a quick end to this film if he'd held it in such a way that when the claws came out, it severed his, you know, his artery. Yeah. I was thinking of when uh, uh, when Obi-Wan in uh, Star Wars hands Luke the, the lightsaber and he looks down the barrel he straight does away. N- there is a f- shot of the, but, but that is not in the movie, actually. It is a, <laughs> there's, a, there's a famous photo of it, but that's actually a still from a, a production uh, a still, not, a, not actually in the Movie, but yes, I know. I thought exactly. he was going to do the pork maneuver. I, I know exactly what you what you're talking about. <laughs> and once again, they're being observed by this silent statuesque cyclops. Yep, another fantastic like animatronic creation because. This cyclops, it takes a while for him to enter the story, but he he stands up with such dignity. And in my memory, he has been blended with Andre the Giant's character from The Princess Bride. I can see why. Right, I remember him with a rather like a distorted American accent. Okay, interesting. Versus yeah. the the English accent that he has. Like in my memory, they sort of blended together. Yeah, it's a, a English American collaboration. This movie, but it was almost entirely shot in the Pinewood Studios in. Uh, oh, excellent! Yeah, uh, all of these, uh, almost all these sets are internal sets. Like a few of them were uh, external in uh, in Italy and England. Right. Like, yeah. Like when finally the. Uh, Cyclops is introduced after Ergot picks some gooseberries and a uh, slayer is observing him and the Cyclops uh, intervenes by throwing his spear at the uh, slayer. Who uh, dies off screen and yeah. then Ergo faints and people ride to his rescue and, oh, who who saved you here? It was a monster and then like, oh, it's a Cyclops and we get a little bit of a backstory about the Cyclopses. Who apparently used to live on another world. So yeah. this is definitely like an, an, an like interstellar travel is known somehow. Right. Uh, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, that's why you get the whole rule the galaxy. I mean, this this beast has already conquered many planets before, as we learn in the opening crawl. Wait, but how does anybody travel between... I mean, he I has know, this... He has, yeah, I don't know. There must be other... spaceship fortress. Uh, yeah, uh, I, mean, I guess. It, the spaceship fortress that teleports. I mean, maybe there's other ways to get from one planet to the other. It's like, this is the magic fire people. Maybe this is the Fire Nation planet. <laughs> it's, a, it's really kind of a tragic romantic story here where apparently his people used to have two eyes like mm-hmm. other men, but they sacrificed one of their eyes in an exchange with the beast. Yes. In, in an exchange to... for the ability to see the future. <laughs> But they were cheated. And the only future they are permitted to see is the time of their own death. They're sad, solitary creatures. Which is a bad wish, I think. There's a, Ergo at one point has a line yeah. that seems to come out of nowhere as he passes uh, uh, the Cyclops, saying, I still think it's a foolish wish which seems like it's calling back to some other line that he never winds up saying in the film. Maybe it was cut out or well, something. Well, there's, there's a discussion he has with the boy, uh, with the, the seer's uh, assistant or brother, as he calls him, and they go, oh. like, he he wishes for a puppy. I mean... He, That's... Okay, yeah, yeah, never mind. Yeah, because he's just been transformed into a puppy and transformed back out, and then right. he says it's a foolish wish. Oh, okay. Yes, okay. I think that's what he was referring to. But yes, uh, sp- speaking of the boy and the seer, that's where they're going. They manage to find a particular rock face which opens up in a green light and inside we have an old man. It's a sort man. of wily coyote slash roadrunner situation yeah. where they can walk through this wall. Um, it's uh, it's an interior scene. It looks like, a, like some kind of tavern. Lots of kryptonite glowing around. Um, emerald, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, yes, he's emerald the emerald seer. seer. Yeah, and he has this like... Big emerald, which starts floating, and he starts using it for uh, for doing some divination purposes to learn where the 
Black Fortresses. He uh, has a, a young boy, like, apprentice assistant who's also wearing green like he is. Uh, and it is not a very successful divination. No, because the beast intervenes. His beast's hand appears, grabs the crystal, shatters it. It suddenly turns heck and windy for a moment. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Oh, yes, my vision is opposed. But there is a place where we could go. Yes, where- because there's the Emerald Temple, which is in the middle of the swamp, where three trees grow as one. And now we are on a quest to go to the swamp. Wow. Anyone who's who has sat through this entire film and hey, I say that as if it's as if it's a slog. It's not. Oh, no. It is a it is a breathless film, but uh, uh, we're moving through it as if we were riding fire mares. Because yeah, the movie is literally 2 hours and yes, we want to not have this podcast be 2 hours, I think. Into the swamp they go where yeah. we get a little banter between all of these characters. Finally is a shot with Robbie Coltrane and uh, and Liam Neeson mm-hmm. uh, together as they mock the Prince of Thieves, who uh, he snapped some bits of kryptonite. Uh, oh, yes. And he wants to show off, hey, we've got this wealth. Oh, no, they're just dumb rocks now. And it turns out, and the little smug smile from the seer. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, that, this was uh, also uh, on Studio 007 in the Pinewood Studios, one of the largest sound stages in the world. Uh, Whoa. Where they uh, built this uh, this swamp. It was apparently very uncomfortable because it was shot in the winter of 83 and it was quite cold there and the place was not sufficiently heated. Oh, dang. Yeah. So. Especially for the, uh, I mean, some slayers come out of the water. They must have been chilled to the bone. Yeah. I hope they were wearing dry suits under the armor. Yeah, I would soap or at least wetsuits. Yeah. Uh. So we get another cool fight. There's an opening barrage from all of the lightning weapons, and then it goes hand-to-hand. The thieves, the army of thieves, actually make good on their names. They are really capable against these uh, slayers, far more so than the Knights of the Kingdom. But the fight is probably only a distraction, because while the the entire band is uh, busy fighting the slayers, a doppelganger approaches the seer and kills and replaces him. Now, it was an interesting scene because this doppelganger approaches and then reaches out and the fingers become gnarled. Yeah, long long nails growing into claws. Like clasping around the seer's throat. But the changeling, which we learn that it is, Mm -hmm. actually seems to be weeping. Seems to be like... Uh, tormented by having to do this. Oh, I thought it was the the seer who was being tormented. I thought so too, but like cutting back and forth, the the seer who is being strangled has his mouth open and is screaming or like choking in pain. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the other one who cries. Oh, now, okay. This relates to what we call the seducing wench mm-hmm. that we meet later on. She's also a changeling and she is also tormented by what she has to do. So it seems as if this was changing she, is a. Was she a changeling? Um, and she had the well, same black eyes, but I thought that was just the mark of the beast or something. And her hand also changes uh, into this yeah, uh, yeah, right. gnarled. So they seem to have the ability to to kill with a touch when they right, yes, which is what this seer wants to do. Like as as the replacement seer, the changeling is led off first by uh, by Prince Brad. He's got his hand is on 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 Prince Brad's shoulder and sort of spider walking along his shoulder, Getting closest closer, to that yeah. juicy juicy neck. But the uh, the the thief, uh, the prince of thieves, prince of thieves intervenes and uh, takes over the leading. A quick cut back to Princess Janet, who is walking through a an extremely vaginal interior. Yes, right. All Inte- of these. Oh, I'd call it intestinal, but yes. Well, yeah. all of these sort of oval-shaped hallways, and some of them like seal in on themselves. Kind yes, of like-, like for someone who got the the run of the palace, there seems to be an awful lot of messing around going on with her. Now, multiple days have passed. That dress is not a comfortable thing to sleep in. I suppose not, no. 
Her hair is amazing, though. And we get our first glimpse of the uh, the beast. Yes, big red eye, huge face. Very distorted through the uh, through the lens. Right, that was an intentional effect. So it's a uh, right. It's a big animatronic suit. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's meant to be worn. It's got like a cable thing going for heartbeat and all the other uh, controls in it. But it was always intentionally filmed through distortion as if to make it look like it's not entirely on the same realm or plane of existence. Right, yeah. That, 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 that was a deliberate artistic choice to, yeah. Because it's sort of stretched out and the yeah. weird sort of lensing and prisming. Yep. Excellent. I mean, it's often a good idea to keep your villain mysterious, especially if it's an alien-looking mm. creature. Keep it, like, yeah, just intriguing. It's a fine line, because remember in Farscape, hey, yeah, we're a Farscape podcast on uh, Home on the Remains, the Kidva. The Kidva was really out, so out of view all the time that by the time you finally got to see it, it was clearly like a dude in a suit. I don't think it was as effective as uh, as here. There's another scene in the swamp which shows off, I mean, this... this I mean, this is the 80s. There has to be a quicksand scene, you know? Yeah, which does not work this way. No. it's much easier to explain in Dutch where the word for quicksand is drijfzand, which is floating, floating sand, sand because yes. you float. Right. Because sand, like... You can, you, you'll never sink more than waist deep into quicksand because, you know, sand, quicksand is denser than water and much denser than a human body. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you know how to get out? Swim, I suppose. Because you, yeah. you won't be able to swim because you're up to your, about your waist, about yeah. your belly button, and then your legs are kind of stuck because it sort uh, of locks in place, right? right? Yeah. The sand sort of collapses. So what you do is you lean your weight on one leg, and then you make sort of stirring motions with your other leg. Oh, uh, yeah, to get the... Gradually stirring it to get more water into yeah, the yeah. sand until you can raise that up a bit, and then you lean on that one, and you do the same with the other one. And you uh, sort of gradually... Because the, the sand sort of wants to lock in, mm. and you can walk upward that way. Okay. So I've been told. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, there's so there's lots of uh, back and forth thing like uh, forming Artax. human chains. Uh, to, yeah. <laughs> so apparently this is like this was cork clearly floating on a bit of water. And oh, like, I thought you said like county cork in no, no, Ireland. No, 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 okay. no. It is in cork. It's also a very unconcerned Robbie Coltrane. It's like you can see him like he's just kind of like uh, going around there in the back, like oh, just like going through the quicksand. Just a wee paycheck for me. The ground, it's sinking. It is the power. Of the beast. Link up! Link up! Get me out! Ruth, get hold of him! Yep. It was really unclear what all of these characters were called. They they they, they, they had names, several but, yeah. names, but I, I couldn't really keep track of them all. One of them dies. It's not one that we know, I don't think. I don't no. think it's the young man, but... No, no, we see him later, because the young man is the one who later bounces off one of the horses. Exactly. Uh, uh, unable to be saved... And having made it through the swamp, I mean, the team is kind of complete at this point because the Cyclops has like revealed himself and uh, and joined them mm-hmm. and shaken hands a bit. There's a uh, there was a fun bit of business between Ergo and the kid whose name was Ditch or Titch. Titch, I think. I'm Titch. Titch yeah, yeah. and the uh, the Cyclops because there's a bit of mistrust and like this is a really fun little trinity where Ergo is is sort of trying to protect the boy who is much more worldly and experienced than uh, than he is. Yes, uh, for someone who seems to get around a bit, uh, yeah, he does. The, the kid seems to be know a lot and be quite, uh, yeah. I mean, he's had a decent education, it seems, from the seer, who unfortunately turns out to have died in the meantime. Oh, right, this is actually where the, the exchange with the changeling happens. Uh, oh yes, it's while they're all stuck in the in, in the swamp. Yes. That's where. So the attack was just an attack, and then yes. this was a secondary. I, I, I misremembered it. Oh, it's fine. There's plenty of confusion to go around. But they do reach the temple, which is just three trees growing together. Yeah. 
And the seer says, He who seeks the knowledge must lead me. No one else may approach. But it's a trap. Yes, because just as the seer starts to reach out to try and choke Prince Brad, the Cyclops, who has stayed behind to watch for people who might be following them, sees the corpse of the real seer floating up out of the quicksand, because apparently that's what quicksand does. Yeah. It just goes suddenly <laughs> pop. And, uh, and comes runs, 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 runs. Throws his trident and kills the changeling. Oh, yes, it is a trident, isn't yeah. it? Well, it's actually a fordent because there's a tiny little spike in the middle. But Oh, handy. Yeah, not quite, yeah, but it's... it's, it, it's consistently referred to as a trident and the changeling's face melts it's a really cool effect i think that they made like a cast of this actor's head mm-hmm. out of latex and then like lit a fire inside of it because you've got these that looks about like what's happening yeah blackening and pustules and and like so many of the beasts cronies or henchmen whenever they die they just kind of like disappear into the ground oh yes convenient yeah i mean it's like a video game where anybody you shoot just kind of disappears yeah, you don't want to keep bothering with all that rendering. <laughs> all, that, all the bodies lying around, yes. Obi-Wan uh, has an idea, however. All is not lost. There is one other person who might know, and that's the Widow of the Web. Uh, yes. Prince of Thieves is sceptical. Uh, but, well, I mean, he hasn't got anything else to go by. Uh, so some further trekking, during which like the bond between Ergo and Ditch continues. Uh, so, Ergo yeah, Ditch- Ergo turns himself into a puppy. Yeah, does he do that on purpose? Yeah, I think so. Yeah? yeah no, I'm pretty sure he does that to help the boy, to give the boy a little bit of uh, puppy time. Yeah, he's a little beagle. It's, yeah. it's really adorable. Uh, and once they get to the right forest, then Obi-Wan goes off and uh, goes to find the, the Widow of the Web, who turns out to be his ex. Yeah. The thieves and, and our heroes all stay behind, and uh, the Prince of Thieves says to Liam Neeson, Hey, you're a bit of a slut. Doesn't one of your wives live here? Yeah. Oh, yes. And she called. It's not her strongest point. There's a community of sluts here, yeah. <laughs> Very fine sluts. Yes, yeah. Well, I, kind of, I kind of like that. Like, I hope yeah. that this is not just some kind of like patriarchal luxury, but... You know, a, a civilization of sluts is a is a fine like culture to belong to. It sounds like we wandered into an episode of Oglaf. <laughs> <laughs> a rogue slut has been sighted in the in the countryside. But yes, as the Princess Janet is still moving around the fortress, she finds a room that looks kind of like the inside of a mouth, I yes. suppose. Uh, yes. Lots of teeth, and she is once more confronted by the beast, who now shows that he can take any form that he likes. He takes the form of Prince Brat. In his marriage uh, scarf. Uniform, yep. Yeah. But still with the red eyes. Yeah, and she backs away, and I'm like, hey, Janet, hear him out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is good. And he goes like, oh, your prince will betray you, because look, he's making out with a slut. Yes. He's, he sort of space FaceTimes, space times <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to, uh, to what is literally happening right now. Like it's At the time, yes. Kind of economical to have these scenes. Because, yes, one of these neighborhood sluts is talking to uh, Prince Brad and saying, from, oh, but you're without comfort. And, oh, don't you? This is a lie. I know how painful it is to be far from the one you love. He will betray you. Comfort me for one night. He will not. I can't betray my bride. Then he will die. I can't accept comfort when she has none. Very Galahad. He, he refuses her. She goes, you, you must now reward me because I didn't kill you. I could have killed you because I am one of the beast's henchmen. Does she, she say it like that? I not, that? Not in those words, but pretty much, yes. Well, oh, that's not what I got from it. I mean, maybe I did, just didn't pay as, as, as close attention as, as, as you did. What, what I saw was that he rejected her, and so her secondary mission was to kill him. Right, and then she doesn't. 
because, like, in that moment, I loved you. Like, she is redeemed by, right. from, from her sluthood by falling for the hero, and she tells him that. And that's when uh, Princess Janet says to the Beast, ha-ha, it is not I who is betrayed, it is yes. you. Yes. Because love is mightier than yeah, and, whatever. And the Beast swipes right, and the girl disappears <laughs> with a scream. Remember me. And thus, the number of female characters with agencies is reduced once again. Now, we're about to be introduced to a new one, which is the Widow of the Web. Yep. Don't get too excited. She doesn't last very long. No. So, yes, uh, Obi-Wan has to, like, climb through the uh, the Death Star, which is kind of, like, <laughs> spider-webbed up a little bit, because it's the Widow of the Web. Uh, I love this. And he, like, one of these web strands is, uh, uh, oh, there's, like, there's a name for it. Like, there's a signal strand or something. Oh, okay. When certain spiders, like, their web are constructed to be mostly sticky yeah. but then there's a few strands that are slightly slack but very strong and uh, uh, while they're resting in the center of the web they keep a leg on each one of these so they can feel the vibrations yeah. and then when something hits it or uh, they know right. where it is oh that's very clever and so, so the spider of this web which mm-hmm. is a really cool creation yeah it's a big kind of semi-translucent spider you can see like red organs on the inside mm. and it's uh, it's approaching it's so it this, looks a little janky. This was actually the first scene they shot in the production schedule. Huh. Yeah. I guess he was the first one that was cast or available because he... I guess, or the, the first set that was ready. It's an elaborate set. It is. I did it without any safety wires, too. So Yikes. That, was, that would have been kind of too visible. But yeah, so the spider is kind of stop motion-ish, I would th- I'd say. Yes, this is an unfortunate bit of timing because it was like a year away from the general availability of the technology that would really, really improve stop motion. It was introduced in uh, uh, Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back with the mm-hmm. uh, the at-ats. Right. Um, and it's where you, yeah. you do stop motion, but you move the camera and the object every time you take a frame. Right. So they're all like slightly motorized. And this was okay to do with mechanical devices, mm. you know, X-Wings and, yeah. uh, and AT-ATs. About a year later, I think Dragon Slayer would be released with a very young Peter McNichol, yeah. uh, which would have an animatronic dragon where sort of a, a living creature was also animated like that. Mm. And it was just out of this world how much better it looked than this this janky yeah. staccato stop motion. But uh, he manages to uh, make his way through the web and just as the spider is about to attack him he calls out the name of the widow who recognized it and grants him time by turning her hourglass which freezes the spider and gives him time to get to the center of the web. It's not a lot. Like, he approaches the center and he sees a figure through the haze of uh, uh, spider webs and he's like, oh, I'm here now, but Turns no, skeleton. it's yeah, Anskeleton. No. Uh, he does have to be a little Tarzan swinging along the web uh, until he finally makes his way in. And there's an old woman sitting there who turns out to be his old girlfriend. Ish. Ish. This one, as a staunch modern like feminist, I did not really appreciate because there's 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 quite some ageism. She is this uh, this withered crone who laments the loss of her uh, her youth, who has been embittered by abandonment by uh, uh, the man that she loved in her youth. Yes, he, apparently he had to leave, and uh, she didn't. He didn't know that she was pregnant at the time, and because he was, he'd left her. She killed their son, yep. and her punishment is to sit here in the web. And he could never forgive her, but he has forgiven her. This Instantly, like, yeah. All of this is just super. And because he's forgiven her, then she can see through his eyes and she sees her beautiful young self in the mirror. And now she's beautiful again. And that's, yeah. what the fuck? 
it's so weird. But yes, his vision gives her youth, and she asks which vision he uh, she can give him, and he's like. Give me the location of the fortress. Yeah, I don't care about all your shit that you've yeah. got going on. Uh, let's just not deal with your emotional baggage or you as a character, but just this is the thing that I need because that's what women exist to do, to provide motivation, danger, and power to men so that yes. the plot can move on. Oh, uh, the plot does need to be advanced rather quickly because he needs to leave the web again, and she says no man has ever left the web. And uh, he looks at the uh, the hourglass and like, eh, yeah, sorry, eh? yeah, sorry, I can only do that once. But... Uh, if I smash it and I give you the sands of my life, the spider cannot harm you, but your life will also run out as soon as the sand does. This is another one of those situations where wouldn't it make a lot more sense for her to walk out and then continue his mission and for them, for him to die here? That seems to make sense. If, right. I mean, if she's allowed to. She's got the... Yeah. Her character arc has been resolved. She's apparently been redeemed of her crime. So yep. what's, the, what's the punishment? But no, yeah, she goes away. Just uh, another little suggestion for Netflix. If you're listening, <laughs> you're going to make your, your crawl remake. We want, we want in on the writer's room. <laughs> <laughs> barely manages to escape. It's another thrilling, like, our rapid fire commentary doesn't do justice to just no. how exciting all this is. No, but yeah, as soon as he uh, manages to leave the lair, Spider returns to uh, the center of the web and like there's a little bit of electric crackling there, shakes it apart and presumably dies along with the widow of the web. Which is like, I mean, she's not really a widow of the web, is she? If like right. this this dude is her, is her, I mean, he was alive. So like even if they were married, then she's clearly not a widow. But yeah. Yeah, she's, oh. This is a missed opportunity. Spinster would have been better. Oh, damn, yes. Right? Yeah, spinster. Yes, very good. What about your life? I give it to the girl who bears my name. Obi-Wan makes his way back to the camp uh, and manages just to tell them that the Dark Fortress will be in the Iron Desert from dawn on for one day, and then he dies as the last of the sand, runs out of his hand. And again, I'm not doing it justice. This is like a lot more uh, a lot more dramatic than uh, I, we're making it out here. Uh, the problem is that Iron Desert is like a thousand leagues away. And I did a little bit of research on this, and this means it can be anywhere between th- uh, 4.7 and 7.4 thousand kilometers, because a league... What? A league originally speaking is very ill-defined like okay but these these days it's considered to be three statute miles i believe but uh, historically speaking there's quite quite a lot of distance <laughs> in a league and is that are they like nautical leagues because that's why not like twenty thousand leagues under the sea i know because it's one of those things that like a lot of people had different lengths for what and one league exactly oh, is. Yeah. okay yeah, it sort of makes sense. I mean, this is like yeah. also one of the reasons why Napoleon is considered a short ru- ruler. He was not short, oh, even no. for the time. But there were two things. The French foot is longer than the English foot. So, uh, yes, yes, he was five foot two, but that's a lot taller. Yeah, in, than in, it sounds in, in English, yeah. <laughs> and he also surrounded himself with, like, his personal guards were, were big old basketball players. Oh, okay. So he looked a little shorter in comparison to his, his you know, his, okay, his paladins. that makes sense, yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, fortunately, there is one creature who can travel a thousand leagues in a day. Fire mares. Fire mares can travel a thousand leagues in a day. We get a really cool, like, horse rustling scene yes. with these these beautiful animals. Like, what are, are they Frisians? Clydesdales. Clydesdales. Yeah. Not a famously fast horse. No. <laughs> <laughs> right? but they're big. And they've got these lovely, like, feathered fetlocks. And it, it's... It's just this beautiful, like they're clearly all domesticated. Like they've got the blaze on the forehead, which is one of the one of the traits of domesticated animals. Fair point. Yeah. 
but there's a there's a cattle rustling scene and yes the boy in quite a dangerous stunt jumps off a rock onto one of the herd members and bounces off, off yep yeah. good thing he picked the last one because <laughs> yeah it's also fun to see that um if you look a little bit at the background and the ground itself when the, the the first scene of the horses riding into this canyon in which they're going to do the hustling it's still kind of like green and uh, fresh and oh, then yeah. it almost immediately turns into a big mud pool uh in the next <laughs> shot because it's clearly been driving those horses back and forth a lot through that canyon that day and, and the grass doesn't survive that nope. long. <laughs> Certainly not with those, those big old dinner plate hooves the Clydesdale have. No. The Cyclops points out the grey one is the leader. So the leader of the fire mares whom yep. uh, Prince Brad lassos, and we see very clearly that is not, not a, a mare. mare. <laughs> oh. uh, then again, I don't know. We don't know how they identify. Fair point. It's like that uh, that Doctor Who episode. and, and, yes. and wherever, his, name is, like, his name is Susan and he wants what? you to respect his choices. Hell yeah. yeah. So yes, off they go. The Cyclops says he has to stay because his time has come and if he uh, does not uh, die in the way that he has uh, foreseen, he, he will put himself in great pain. Yeah, it's something that uh, uh, the Titch also explains. Uh, to Ergo. Explains yeah. Finally, Ergo shakes his hand. That's been a long time coming. Yes. Ergo shakes the uh, the Cyclops' hand and, uh, and says goodbye in, uh, in gratitude. And Rel, I'll ride with you. I have to stay here, my friend. We had no time. This amazing sequence of them riding these fire mares and the Prince of Thieves is actually like standing on its yep. back. It's a bad, like bad horsemanship, dude. But Oh, yes. They, they, they must have set quite a lot of scenery on fire because like you see these smoky shots. Yeah. Uh, they must have just like literally put the countryside on fire to make those. Uh, but yes, there's, they, there's some nighttime riding and at fun point they actually go riding through the sky. Yes. On flaming hoofed horses. It's horses so, flames. so cool. Across the end <laughs> of the sky. Yippee-i-oh. in the sky. Yeah, because they only have until the next sunrise to get into the dark for- fortress. Yes. Uh, they arrive in the Iron Desert, ride to the fortress, uh, and start climbing it. They're immediately beset by uh, these fortress slayers. Now, yeah. they're different from the slayers that we've seen before. They have white armor. Yes. Uh, the gun ports open, and they start shooting uh, through them, trying to impede their approach into the castle. A couple of thieves buy it, and there's really not a lot they can do. Prince Brad says, we should rush them. Uh, and the Prince of Thieves says, no, that's, that's, that's too that's dangerous. Suicide, yeah. Robbie Coltrane gets it here, I believe. He has a little quiet death scene. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately, the Cyclops appears, and he seems to be impervious to the blaster bolts of the Slayers. Uh, yeah. He walks straight on through, knocks one of the guys out of his shooting port, and holds it open as it starts to close. Buys everybody enough time to uh, get inside, and then dies his horrible death. As he is slowly crushed, crushed in this in the, door. Uh, yes. Now, oh, this God. part I remembered. Yes. Yeah, this one, this one stuck with me as a... It was such a tragic death. Yeah. You assume he would have died peacefully whenever it was, as long as it was with the horses. But no, he chose to come help his compatriots and pay the price for that. Maybe that was just, oh, he just realized, oh, I'm in an opium meadow. Yes, as was foretold, this is where I'm supposed to die. And he got his pipe out. And <laughs> Fair point, yeah. But no, he decided to, to be the hero, sentencing himself to, to great pain. It's not a great way to go. No. But our heroes are now inside the uh, the fortress just before it vanishes from the Iron Desert and reappears in, hey, another meadow in the Dolomites. Yeah, there's a lot of running through the castle, a little bit of shooting more uh, slayers. There's a scene in which a hallway splits in two. 
Uh, and oh yeah! And apparently this was like quite a dangerous scene to f- to film because those were two enormous set pieces which were controlled by hydraulics, and they uh, n- they nearly crushed the uh, Prince uh, Brad's legs. Prince Brad, just Prince Brad, and like at one point when he was uh, being slow in. Uh, the, Delivering his lines, they actually had to man- had to cut it off because they realized that they weren't going to be able to pull him out in time. Yeah, and because like the floor splits open and then it yeah. seals back together again, and he just barely makes it out. And it's, yeah, apparently this was like super dangerous. And uh, yeah, <laughs> health and safety would yeah. have something to say about this. <laughs> yeah. Still, thirty million dollars went a long way in nineteen eighty four. Oh yes, Liam Neeson buys it. Unfortunately, yes, he the does death not. of the last slut. <laughs> How many wives does he have? About seven or eight at the last count. Well, he's a travelling man, you see. Uh, he had about eight wives or so, yeah, so I guess he could call him slutty. <sighs> my travelling days are over, my friend. No, 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 we'll get you out of here. No, 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 here's where I stay. <sighs> well, he says, like, tell my wife I loved her, and, like, nobody says to his face, which, which one? one? Yeah. <laughs> they, all, they all just let him die and all. <laughs> We'll send a group message. Prince Brat uh, arrives at the prison room where his wife to be Princess Janet. Princess Janet is, and he finally knows. He he puts to the Prince of Thieves. He puts hand on. No, let me handle this. And he kindly pulls out the glaive, throws it in the air, starts controlling it like a uh, RC drone. uh, (laughs) I haven't written down the auto glaive, (laughs) which I know is a different thing, but I thought it was a fun joke. Yes, Uh, and Stanley starts cutting a hole in the. Wall. This takes quite a long time, uh, long enough for the prince, the the boy, and another one of the surviving thieves to get uh, sucked through some sort of the wall, uh, and then they get sucked into the hallway of spikes, where they. Uh... Yes, yes. So there's there's three of the thieves are in the spiky hallway. The like it's also oval, so it's the oh. Yeah, I'm gonna say it. Vagina dentata Oof. Yeah. of the fortress. Meanwhile, like Titch and and Ergo have also been separated, and Ergo has transformed himself this time into something actually useful. A tiger, yeah. Oh. Well, I say useful, but like a goose would have done the job as well. Well, yes, they are uh, fierce I mean, guard animals. He takes out he takes out a few slayers in tiger form, though. While Prince Brad starts to fight uh, the beast with the glaive. Yeah, not a very long or interesting fight. No. This is one of the downsides of keeping your your villain creature in mystery. It's mm-hmm. it's like just it's just off screen and out of frame and he keeps hitting it with the glaive yep. until finally like it lodges in the beast who seems to die. Yeah, he tries to pull it back with his force power, uh, but it fails. Hang. They and go running off, uh, and this already foreshadowed a little bit that the beast isn't quite dead because the spikes are still not 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 moving and yeah, keeping everybody seem to be trapped. Related somehow yep. in a way that isn't really explained. He climbs over the fallen beast, reaching for the glaive. I don't know why. Like job done. You I guess think? He, I guess he wants it back. You know, it is like the symbol. Brad and Janet can briefly have a moment together, but then the beast is revived. Ah. Janet here now realizes, like, oh, no, it's us. Oh, it's not the glaive, it's you. Alyssa, it's us. It's us he can't defeat. Goes like, oh. Another heartbeat. I thought, oh, are we going to have a moment of empowerment? Are they going to fight together? No. no, she has power that she gives to him to wield, and now he has all the power, and yep. that's how it should be. And she's sort of cheering him on with her pom-poms and her utter lack of agency. And he just has now a flamethrower hand, which he uses to roast the beast. Uh, 
Yep, and... Uh, Flame-broiled lobster. There's a little bit of screaming and shouting, and oh, as the beast dies, uh, the spikes withdraw. The In a, another cliché, the, the big bad guy is being defeated, and now the big bad fortress starts crumbling and falling apart. For some reason. It, this place is going to blow! Yep. Uh, it does look cool. There's all of this. I mean, it looks like... Like phosphorus, what's it called? Fireworks mm. coming down. Really, really dangerous stuff, guys. Yes, this looks like super... Uh, magnesium, sorry, that's what I'm thinking Oh, magnesium of. flares. Yes, that's the one. Uh, they see a trail of blood and someone immediately intuits, oh, oh that must be Ergo. Ergo. That's Ergo. He may still be alive. Yeah. Why? Yeah, no idea. But yes, Ergo and uh, the boy are found, brought along together, more running, more shooting with a few uh, slayers before they uh, manage to escape the... Fortress just in time, which takes a long time to disintegrate and explode. And I thought this was such a good effect. Yeah, it's like it, it all the pieces that break off float up into the air, more of those magnesium flares also floating up into the air, and peace is restored to crawl. This must have been a really complicated thing to set up because this model was, I mean, clearly hung upside down mm, yeah. and fallen apart. But like to have it fall apart in the right number of chunks, like this. Well, it was built like a jigs- big jig- jigsaw and put together specifically for this purpose that they could like then uh, fall- let it fall apart again. Yeah, okay, but you want the like the top part to fall off first, and then the oh, next right, part yeah. to fall off. So you've got to have like some kind of wiring system to prevent. Them oh from yeah, yeah. Falling off. And you have to shake it, and you have to like the yeah. dust, let, the, let the dust go up and down. Yeah, absolutely. It's really, really great, and then. It's finally gone. We have... Let me see who survives. Yes. The youngest of the thieves, who yep. I don't... He got a name? Like uh, N- Nino or Mino or something? Pretty sure. It's like, uh, yeah, I didn't... Titch the boy, yep. Ergo the wizard, the, the prince of thieves, whom Prince Brad offers to free. Like, these final moments don't really include Princess Janet at all. No. She's just kind of standing there off in the background... Uh, like, the only thing that she does is to sort of reassure the boy that Urko will be fine, having not examined him in any way or whatever. No. Like, just... <laughs> no, he'll be fine, yes. One final exchange between uh, Brat and uh, the Prince of Thieves, where uh, he uh, gives him the keys to unlock the manacles, and then he goes, keep the keys. The key's yours. Only the king and his lord marshal carry this key. That's right. And he just, like, grins at him and goes, like, yep. And this missing. is missing opportunity that he could throw the line you back. You were like, screaming when <laughs> we were was, watching this. Yes, it's like, oh, come on. He could have said, like, you don't look like a king to me. And that would be like... That would be a great line to end on. It would be fantastic. It would like, be mirroring <laughs> the or- original exchange between the two. And yes. it was just like such a missed opportunity there. That's <laughs> and this over this meadow... Credits. Credits. <laughs> yeah. And that's how we end. Like, you know, we still don't see them, like, triumphantly returning or, like, the oh, peasants no, there's rejoicing. No, there's nothing to return to. There's no peasants in these countries. You know, there's... Wait, you think they're the last living people on this know. entire planet? I don't know. I'm planet? just making this up. Uh, no, Sluts, I'm, I'm Still Slutsville is still there, of course. Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Hopefully they can teach Brad and Janet some some fun stuff to, like... Yeah. There's a lot more to, to romance than, than maybe you've thought about so far. Let let us teach you from the Book of Sluts. Yes. <laughs> So yes, uh, lab- uh, sorry, a labyrinth, not labyrinth. It's uh, crawl. Wow! No, you're you're not wrong. I got a lot of labyrinth vibes. I got uh, 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 dragon slayer. Yep. Uh, Star Trek. Be- sorry, a bit of Star Trek from the uh, yeah. music and uh, Star Wars, of course. And the Princess Bride. Yep. Uh, it was called derivative by critics. You know? Look, this is only fair in the eighties. If this came out now, yeah. it would be this amazing pastiche and like mashup of right. all these sources, and it'd be so innovative mm-hmm. to to mash up all these divergent sources. But the eighties was a time where, oh yeah, Willow, right? Yes, right, very much so. Yeah. You had all these stories coming, and they were all so original. 
by current standards, right? Mm -hmm. They weren't based on books, although I think Willow had like a children's book that came before or after, I'm, I'm not sure, but just the the creative gumption to create this world where, oh yes, over the credits, then the prophecy is repeated. A girl of ancient name shall become queen. She shall choose a king, and together they shall rule our world. And their son shall rule the galaxy. Was there going going for a sequel? What's you know you know that's that's really the only way they could do it. You could have a crawl too that was also on this world because it already faced the greatest ex existential crisis yes. that it can have. And now it's like, and I, okay, my head cannon Flash Gordon is the first. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is in the Flash Gordon universe. <laughs> Yes, like crawl two. It opens. Something terrible happens, and like like Lana and Jor El, uh, they they have to put their baby into like some some cryopod. He's found by some 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 jock like a jock couple in in, in Kansas, <laughs> raised as a son until he discovers his birthright to rule the galaxy. Yes, and he he marries Ming in this one. <laughs> Right? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's go for that. Let's see if we can get in on the writer's room on that one. Gosh, yeah. Can we please can we please have this? Can we have this as a as a 2022 like Netflix or perhaps a more Cr ethical streaming service? Crawl 2, yes. Yeah, Crawl Age of Rebellion and then a season 2 <laughs> where yes, it follows like a next generation Flash Gordon who who like discovers some feelings that he didn't know he had for Ming the Ming the Merciful. Mm -hmm. Ming the Can I do anything with that? I'll figure it out. Time. <laughs> so yes. Uh, okay. Woof. What a movie. Yeah. Do we do we want to do any willies or woodies? It's it's really hard. Oh damn. Yeah. I mean, I think we should. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. My 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 willy goes to women in this. Like oh, the, yes. the role of women. In the, it's the all dudes yeah. on the party and. It's uh, a sausage fest. Yes. Which is not something I normally object no. to in media, but you know, but you tend to have to pay for those or their password protected tumblers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and your Woody? Okay, we yeah. we have a recommendation from Her Majesty, the uh, uh, the podcat. Oh, this is really tricky. I think Ergo. Okay, Ergo was genuinely fun. All right. Right, he he had some he had some cool lines. Yeah. He had uh, uh, he had a sense of comedy. Oh 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 oh! I say that the Prince of Thieves. Now he had a lot of personality yes. and, and, and verve. Oh, tricky! Do you want to pick one of those, or do you have oh, a, do you have uh, another Woody? I think I would definitely go for the Prince of Thieves because Ergo was the comic relief character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, other than that, I mean, Ergo had a lot of personality as well, but none of it good. Uh. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> oh, he was the cowardly lion who found his courage, though. I or suppose, cowardly yeah. tiger who uh. found his. Uh, in, in, in order to help protect uh, the, the, the I boy. guess he was like Cringer who became Battlecat. Oh. oh <gasps> yes, God, season yes. three. Titch returns, but then he's He-Man, and uh -huh. this is also Eternia. Okay, so when, speaking of Titch, after the, uh, the seer dies, mm. Titch is very uh, sad because he was my only family, and then Prince Brad goes, We're your family now. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a really good, uh, a, a nice moment in this movie. Yeah, sort of brings it back to Farscape and the theme of found family. Yes. Ooh. Ooh. Yes. We've done this before for, for the Muppets. Which right. Farscape characters are we going to relate these characters to? Well, uh, okay, Prince Brad is John, obviously. I was going to say Aaron. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Because, let's be fair, Aaron looks a little bit better in black leather than John does. True. Just a little no, bit. No, I agree. 
in that case, let's see. Urgoat is... Um, Rigel. Rigel, yes. Yep. That's what, <laughs> very much uh-huh, so. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, that makes Liam Neeson's character Dargo. Oh, yes. Very good. He even has that sort of look to him. Yeah. The, the longer nose and the longer hair. I dig that. Yeah. I think... I mean, the princess would be, have to be Pilot. Like oh, I was going to go Cyclops. Because Cyclops he's immensely oh, helpful yeah, and calm. No, very good. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I can see that happening. Also, there's a lot of standing around in the background. I mean, he was doing a lot of Lego lassing in this movie. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is partially due to the fact that he couldn't see bugger all through that. Right, prosthetic. he's got the yeah. animatronic thing yeah, in uh, front of his... on his forehead. He only could see through one eye hole. Which and made it impressive that he could shake hands with someone, because yeah. that's not an I mean, easy target to hit. You can see that uh, kind of going wrong when he tries to uh, shake hands with Prince Brad. It's a little bit awkward. But on the other hand, a cyclops would have that problem because they didn't have, would have any depth vision. So yes, that- so a spear <laughs> is not a good weapon for a cyclops. No. A crossbow would be great. Yeah, I suppose so. It's much more point and shoot, yeah. Right. I don't have 3D vision because my eyes are a little bit wonky and one of them's sort of okay and the other one's a backup. But the first time that you took me out to the gun range for some, yeah. some marksmanship practice, I did pretty okay against right, those yeah. clay pigeons. Yeah. Because it's an entirely two-dimensional operation. It is, yeah. You just have yeah. to figure out how far it's your lead XY is. It's XY coordinates yep. and a little bit of drop down and that's yep. it. Uh, All right. So, I guess this was... Crawl, that uh, means next week we're going to... Okay, a special treat for next week's fan fiction, but everybody, hey, be cool. So do you remember, Kay, how I... Uh, uh, thanks to Matatron, our listener, you yes. got a copy of uh, uh, the Farscape magazine, the first edition from yeah. July 2001. That happened to feature a story set in the Farscape universe written by Keith R.A. DeCandido. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, shh, nobody, nobody tell the Jim Henson company. What if we read that one? Okay, that sounds fantastic. I'm right? looking forward to that. I, good, because I've, I've already like reached out to the writer who said, well, it's not up to me. It's not, and that's about I'm, as much as he was legally able to encourage <laughs> us. But I think in this, he, he did not say that we could do it. No. But I, I think kindly like, okay. I've, yeah. I've had a little glance at it. I'm really curious about it. So that's going to be our fan fiction next time. And then after that, uh, we're going to return to Farscape 307. Yep. And let's, hey, let's just keep the suspense. Okay, let's right? do it. Because this was a long time to wait when Farscape was uh, was airing. Like, I remember just being even more frustrated with this after Eat Me and the doubling of John Crichton. Oh, yes. Than I was to, after. Oh, yes, we're going to have to see how that's going to play out. Right? Yeah. Because with the, the death of Erin, I didn't really believe she was dead. No. Right, and it's just like, how are they going to deal with that? Now we have but now jump. there's so much more potential to, to yeah. this idea. Do we have two leads? What's going to happen? <laughs> and and that's, that's the story so far, Skip. Join us in two weeks. You can find us at SoFarscape on Facebook and Twitter. SoFarscape.com slash fanfic. If you want to send us uh, your recommendation for fanfiction, we have some really, really great suggestions and we'd love to, to, to find out more. Our friend Kathy, who recommended the uh, Zan Ficathon by Astrogirl, reached out to some of the original writers and they were apparently delighted that we still enjoyed their stories from 15 yes, years that we ago. Are, that, that people were still picking up on these and actually doing readings of them. It's like... I- so exciting to be able to like do that to, for people. Yes, it kind of like makes me feel a little bit like we were part of that fickathon, that that story exchange. A little bit, yeah. We did our little contribution to it, even if it is fifteen years after the fact. Sofarscape.com <laughs> uh, slash synopses if you want to send up in your synopses for upcoming episodes. And hey, season three is ripe for the picking, so keep them coming in. And Sofarscape.com slash support if you want to join our Patreon and help us keep the lights on. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed Krull, by the way. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. So, so far, Escape, so good. good.